Psalm 16, beginning in verse number one. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You may be seated, and will you join me in a word of prayer? Dear Father, we pray that you would bless your word today. Father, we pray that as we hear from your word, that your spirit would be with us, and that you would be at work in our hearts and in this church. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My question for you today is, what is it that you want most in this life? There are many things that we do, but often we do it with purpose. When we're young, we make friends, we play, we learn new things. When we go to school and high school, we study and we prepare for the future. We focus on our relationships. Later in life, we try to establish long-term relationships. We wake up, we go to work, we make money, we provide for ourselves and for our families. But why do we do these things? I think if you were to ask many people, why do you do the things you do? What do you want most out of life? You would hear many different answers. But I think for the most part, people would say, you know, I want to make money, but honestly, I just want to be happy. I think if most people are honest, that's what they'll say. You know, sure, you'll find some people who say, I want money, I want power. But I think most people that you meet every day, even if they want those things, it all comes down to being happy. People want to be happy. They want peace and stability. They want to live their lives and go to work doing something that is fulfilling. They want to go to sleep at night thinking they've done something and that their existence has a purpose. When we look at this text, we might ask, human beings, men and women created in the image of God, where can they find peace? Where can they find fulfillment and joy and happiness. Is there such a place where you can truly find that perfectly? In today's psalm, David the king and the people of God who sing it, they know where this is. They know where perfect joy is, and they know where it isn't. They ask the question, are we satisfied, fulfilled, complete, in perfect harmony with our Creator? 
or separated from him and as enemies of him. In the final verse, David, he knows the answer. He says, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We see David compare what it is like to have God as your refuge and what it is like to search after other gods. We see David speak greatly of the joy and the pleasure and the fulfillment of being in the presence of the Lord and the death and despair that comes from being separated from his presence. And I want to look at these two places, these two presences, with the Lord, in the Lord, or separated from the Lord, outside of the Lord. And we will look at them under two headings. The first will be grave and glory, and the second will be sorrow and joy. So grave and glory, sorrow and joy. So first, let us look at this text and see how it is described under grave and glory. What do I mean by this? What I mean is that outside of the Lord is the grave, death. But in the Lord, there is glory and life. We see this in our psalm in verse number 10. There it says, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand pleasures forevermore. This term here, Sheol, is the Hebrew term for grave. In fact, you might have a translation that simply translates it as grave. Uh, if you have an older translation, it might translate it as hell, although a better term would simply be the grave. This isn't making a distinction between punishment or pardon or grace. This is simply referring to the grave, death, where we all go. But David is looking at death very differently than someone who does not have the Lord would look at it. He says, you will not abandon my soul to the grave. That is not the final place that I will be, but I will be rescued and you will not allow me to see corruption. It's, inter it's interesting there. You know, David is obviously looking forward to the resurrection of body and soul. He talks about how his soul will not be abandoned. He talks about how he will not see corruption, referring to his body. Body and soul, he is secure in the Lord. But this brings us to consider something very serious. What of those then who do not have God as their refuge? You see, the term refuge implies safety from dangers that are without. So what are those dangers that are without? There is a danger that awaits those who seek joy and gladness apart from their creator. In rebellion, from their creator. In fact, we see this from the very beginning of human history. If we were to go to the book of Genesis in the very beginning and look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, there we have God placing man in the garden and making this covenant of works with him, 
Obey me and you will live. Disobey me and you will die. He says there in Genesis 2.15, The Lord took God in the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. But of course, what happens in the next chapter? It says in Genesis 3, verse 6, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Notice, it was a delight to her eyes. She saw an opportunity to make herself wise. Now the question is, are those bad things? Did God want his people, his creation, to be ignorant and miserable? Or did he desire them to be wise and to have joy and have fulfilled desires? You see, it is not these things that are wrong. In fact, many people believe that eventually Adam and Eve would have been given wisdom and they would have been given maturity, whether through this tree or through the tree of life. They would have been confirmed in their righteousness. However, we notice that they sought these good things apart from the Lord. Something that sheds light on this is the temptation of Jesus. You remember when Jesus is in the wilderness and he's fasting for 40 days and the devil comes and he tempts him. Notice what Satan tempts Jesus with. In fact, if you were to go there in Matthew chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4 and looking at verse 8, there it says, again the devil, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Notice the similarities between the temptation of Jesus and the temptation of man. Satan is offering something good. Satan is offering something that belongs to them eventually. But he is desiring for them to take those things apart from the timing and the means that God has ordained. I mean, this is Jesus. This is the Son of God. This is the Son of David, the King of all the earth. This is the Son of Man who it says in Daniel chapter 7, that he comes in the clouds and he is presented before the Father and he is given a kingdom of glory and dominion where all the nations would serve him. Would Jesus be wrong for desiring that kingdom? No, he wouldn't be. That kingdom belonged to Jesus. But being without sin, he knew that he would not take something good apart from his Father. And so we, desiring to be like Christ, 
There are good things, but we recognize we have no good apart from our Lord. We know that we will never find true goodness and true joy and true fulfillment if we seek it apart from our Creator. Now, we will speak more on Jesus, but right now we are speaking of sin in the grave. We're thinking of this first Adam, his failure in the garden, and the death that comes to us from him. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men. I think sometimes this might feel strange to our very individualistic cultures, but we must remember that we are far more connected to each other than we think we are. We are humanity under Adam. He represented us in that garden. He was what we call our federal head. We were in him. And when he fell, humanity fell. When he died, we die. We are all in Adam, and so we all face the result of his sin and his disobedience. And so the Bible says, It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. And the Bible, revealing to us our need, shows us what this is, what this judgment looks like. In fact, if you were to go all the way to the very end and look at Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, it's a bit of a long passage, but I'll I'll read it and we can listen. It says there, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead, and who were in it, death and Hades, Sheol, the grave. They gave up the dead and who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is very connected to our passage here today. When David says, the Lord is my refuge, my safety, he is speaking that in Christ, his name is in the book of life and that he is pardoned from his sin. But understand, outside of Christ, outside of the forgiveness of the Lord, you will be judged by what you have done. Not because we were created for this lake of fire, would we be sent into it? Not because God is cruel and he desires to hurt or torture or destroy his creation, but because of our sin and the righteousness of a holy God, a judge who the earth and the oceans flee. This Jesus will judge one day. And we must be sure that the Lord is our refuge, that his salvation is our salvation. We must understand this to understand the comfort of this psalm. Otherwise, it makes no sense. 
Apart from God, there is only death. We were created to be with him. We were created to prosper with him. We were not created to be separated from him and be destroyed. But in God's mercy and love for his creation, he sends a second Adam. Yes, in this first Adam, we find the grave and death. But in the second Adam, we find glory and life. We were in Romans a moment ago, and we saw that because of the sin of Adam, we have his condemnation as well. But notice what it says also. Romans chapter 5, verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. When Adam was told to obey and live, he disobeyed. And all who were connected to him received his condemnation and his death. But when Jesus was, in a sense, told to obey and live, he did obey. And all who are united to him, all who are in Christ, receive his righteousness and his resurrection, his eternal life. We saw in our scripture lesson today that this psalm was speaking prophetically. David was prophesying of his eventual son, speaking to the resurrection. In Acts chapter 2, verse 24, where it says, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Why is it that David can speak so confidently in his psalm? There in verse 9 it says, Therefore my heart is glad, my whole being rejoices, and my flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. Why the confidence? How can he be so sure of this? It is because if you are united to Christ by faith, it is impossible for the grave to hold you. The grave will no more hold you than it hold Christ. Your name will be written in the book of life. And on that judgment day, you will be preserved because Christ is your refuge and your salvation. We are looking at these 10 Psalms of comfort. And we must remember that above all comforts, regardless of how stable our house or apartment is, regardless of how stable our job is, how stable our health is, anything else, the greatest comfort that we have is that we belong body and soul to our Savior, that our sins are forgiven, and that we have a home in heaven in the presence of our Lord with the one we were created to be with. Do you desire comfort like this? the sort of comfort that doesn't have an expiration date. See, I'm not trying to give you something that'll just pick you up and get you through this day. There are many ways we can pick ourselves up. There are many ways we can make ourselves happy. In fact, if happiness is your goal, you can take pills for that these days. 
But that is not the truest comfort that we could ever have. There are many things that we can say to comfort ourselves. Even on our deathbed, we might feel fulfilled and that we've lived a life without regrets. But we need a comfort that is comforting both in life and in death. That is comforting here as we live our lives and comforting when we stand before our judge. Something that gives us eternal comfort as that day will come. The greatest comfort that we can possibly have is to know that we belong to the Lord. Now we could in some sense end here, but there is more to say. You see, I don't want you to get the impression that this is like God holding a gun to your head saying, my way or the highway. You need my salvation whether you like it or not. You see, it's not like that at all. Sometimes we tend to separate our joy and our happiness from serving the Lord, thinking that we can only have one or the other. But notice what this text tells us. It says, in your presence is joy forevermore. Not in your presence is safety, though I'd much rather be away from you. But in your presence is joy forevermore. We like to think of a happy life as being a life where we can do whatever we want. But we see what happens to people who truly do whatever they want. In our sinful desires, we desire so many things that hurt us, that hurt others around us. We see what happens when people are given the freedom to do whatever they want. It does not bring joy. It only brings sorrow. What we truly need is to do what we are supposed to do. We want to live the way that we were created to live. Now the point again is not to say that joy or happiness, seeking these things is misguided. It is good to desire to be happy. It is good to seek joy and happiness. But we are very misguided if we think we will find those things apart from the Lord. We confess that the chief end of man is both to glorify God and at the same time enjoy him forever. These two things are not opposed to each other, but they go together. And so as we have compared grave and glory, let us look at sorrow and joy and ask ourselves, why is it that outside of the Lord there is sorrow? Well, once again, I would like to stress creation. You see, you are not created to exist on your own. You are not created to be by yourself doing whatever you desire. But you are created to be in fellowship with your creator and with others who love him and worship him. When we are separated from him, we destroy ourselves. When we substitute him for other things, we destroy ourselves. And it is because we are trying to live a life that is contrary to the way that we were created. Perhaps you've ever been taking apart a table or taking apart a chair and you've had to undo a screw, but you didn't have the right screwdriver. Uh, this has happened to me for a long, or many times in my life as I think there was a long time where I didn't own a Phillips head screwdriver. 
And that means that whenever, by the way, a Phillips head is the one that looks like this, just in case. But I didn't have the screwdriver for it. So if I ever had to remove that screw, I would usually find other things. Maybe I would find a butter knife or I would find some scissors. Maybe you've done something like this as well. Did that always work well for you? It didn't work well for me most of the time. In fact, many times I would try to use a knife and I would start stripping that screw. I would damage it to where it would be completely unusable. And you might think, why? Why was I damaging this screw? And the reason was I was not using the driver that it was made for. I substituted what it was created for for something else, and it was destructive. Sometimes we might look at our lives and we see something like, ah, this could accomplish what I need. This can make me happy. And we go to that thing thinking that it will help us, that it will truly make us happy. But in the end, it destroys us. And why is that? It's because we were not created for those things. We were created for God. We were created to live the way that he desires us to live. We see in verse 4, it says, the sorrows of those who run after other gods shall multiply. And it is because they were not created for those other gods. They were not, in a sense, natural for them. I wonder, when you were younger, did you ever have to do a science fair in middle school or high, uh, high school? Usually for science fairs for students, they have to ask a question, usually a question that they don't know the answer to. They have to do research, make a hypothesis. They have to conduct experiments, analyze the results, and then come to a conclusion. And I don't remember what my science fair was. I think it was good. But I remember seeing other people who took a very easy route. You see, I followed the rules. I chose a question that I didn't know the answer to. But there were other people who chose very simple questions. Maybe their science fair was, where does fruit last the longest, inside the refrigerator or outside the refrigerator? They already knew the answer to that. My favorite one was, what is better for plants, water or Mountain Dew? I don't think they needed to do a science fair for that, right? I think we know water is created for plants, not Mountain Dew. But it's very similar for us as well. No matter how much that plant might have wanted Mountain Dew, it would not have been beneficial for it. It would have died. It would have shriveled up. It needed water. It needed what it was created for. Perhaps we might look at other things, those other things that are, in a sense, Mountain Dew to our plant. We look at these other things and we think, but I want this. I think this will do for me what God says he will do. But we find out very quickly we were not created for that, and it destroys us. What happens when you run from God? What happens when you separate yourself from the Lord who created you for himself? Here our psalm tells us, those who run after other gods, their sorrows 
will multiply. And we see the result of this if we look at Romans chapter 1, a very famous text that many of us know. We'll look at it quickly, Romans chapter 1 and verse 21. Here it is speaking of God's justice on wicked people. Romans chapter 1 verse 21, it says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged. Notice they substituted. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And notice God's judgment. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies amongst themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Notice the similarities. They exchange God. They desire to worship something. They desire something for refuge. They desire something for fulfillment and happiness. But they do not honor God as their gods. And still, they turn to false gods. They create idols for themselves. And notice how God judges them. He gives them what they want. And they destroy themselves in their sin. When we run from God, when we rebel against God, part of his punishment is giving us the distance that we demand. But notice, it is destructive. And so we see in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8-9, through 9, it says, God's justice is on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Outside of the presence of the Lord, There is only destruction and sorrow. Please do not fool yourself into thinking that you can find everything you've always desired apart from God. That is what Satan tells Adam and Eve. You can get these good things apart from God. That is what Satan told Jesus in the wilderness. You can have these good, great things apart from your father. But we know the response that Jesus gave, the one without sin, the perfect man. He understood we have no good outside of the Lord. Just as he had no good outside of his Father, we have no good outside of him and our God. And so while there is sorrow outside of the Lord, we understand that in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. And at his right hand, there is pleasure forevermore. While outside of the Lord, there is sorrow. In the Lord, there is fullness and joy. One of the most beautiful passages of scripture that I think we can ever read is Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. This is the text that speaks of that great eternal future that awaits those who take refuge in Christ. 
those who love their Lord and desire to be with him. If you were to look there, Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. Notice how that passage is the answer to everything David and the people of God cry out for in our psalm. In the presence of God, death is cast away. There is only glory and eternal life. In the presence of God, our tears are wiped away. Our sorrows are cast away. And we have pleasure forevermore with our Creator. Augustine prayed to the Lord, famously saying, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. We are not ultimately satisfied until we are satisfied in our Creator. We desire love, and we rightly should desire love. But we will be restless until we find that perfect love, the one who is love. We desire goodness and justice, but we will be restless forever until we understand that it is only in the Lord who is truly good and truly just and righteous. Outside of the Lord, we will only find substitutes. But in Christ, we find complete fulfillment for everything that we were created to desire. And so as we're closing, hear this description of Christ and his work. What did Christ come to do? Why is it that the Son of God took on flesh, became a man, and came to his creation? What was his mission? Colossians chapter 1, verse 18 through 23, it speaks to this. And it says, He, Christ, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, meaning that he is the first one to be resurrected and we will follow him, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of of his cross. And you who were once alienated, separated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. Though our sin And though our rebellion separated 
us from our Creator. Christ comes back to reconcile us by his death. You see, the sin that separates us from Christ, he destroys and cleanses through his blood. The righteousness that we need to stand before God, to be in communion with him, he gives us as a free gift that we received by faith. And so, Christian, remember that Christ is your refuge. You have no good outside of him. For those here, perhaps maybe Christ is not your refuge. Understand you will never find true goodness, true joy outside of the one who created you to be with him and have all of those things. You see, we are often tempted to run after other things. We look at idols in our life. We think, if I have money as my refuge, then I can truly remain secure. If I have marriage or if I have friends, if I have children, if I have this job or anything that it is, if I have these things, I will be secure. Perhaps even things that are not good. If I just take this route, this sinful route, I know it's not right. I know that the Lord desires that I fulfill my sensual desires, that I have love between a man and a woman in marriage. I know he says that, but perhaps I can still find that joy outside of marriage. Understand, you will not find joy the way that God has intended you to do so by rebelling against him. You will not find it separated from him. If you think that at the moment you don't have the provisions that you need, and you think if I just do this one deceitful, stealing sort of way of acquiring the goods that you need, maybe that will satisfy you. That'll give you stability. But it will not. Seeking good things apart from the Lord and apart from his means will not ultimately help us. Look at those who took those routes. Look at them in their older years. Find the elderly people who lived lives of sin. Look at their health. Look at their bodies. Look at their minds. Listen to their stories that are full of regrets. They will not look back and say, I found good by doing these things. We don't have to get to that point. We have God's revealed word to us. We sing this psalm with David and the people of God, saying, outside of the Lord, I have no good. Outside of his law, I have no true joy. It should be our desire to be like Christ, who though when he was tempted with good things, said, not outside of my Father's will. And so we do the same, not outside of our Father's will. It is true that God does want us to be happy. And because he created us to find happiness and joy in his presence, he sent his son to be the sacrifice for our sins so that through his blood, he can say, come, return to your creator through the blood of Christ and you will truly have pleasures forevermore. I know that's what we desire. That's what we were created to desire. Let us find it 
in the presence of our Creator. Would you join me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, God, you have created us for so much more than surviving until we die, until the sun blows up and everything is gone. Father, we know that that is not why we exist. Lord, you have created us for love, to love you, to love those around us. But Father, we fell from this, and in our sin, we ran from you and ran from your presence. So Father, today we thank you for sending your Son, who has reconciled us. Lord, remind us that in Adam, we truly were far off. We were alienated from you, enemies of you. But God, through the blood of Christ, we can stand before you, righteous and holy. Father, we pray that you would truly implant this upon our minds. God, so that when other gods, other things that offer joy to us, when they show up, Father, it's our desire that we would have the wisdom and the working of your Spirit to say, I have no good outside of you. Father, I pray that you would remind us, yes, of the sorrow and the death that comes from being outside of you and left in our own sins. But Father, let us truly be thankful and assured of the great glory and life and joy that we have through your Son. So Father, I pray that as all of us here repent of our sins and trust in you for our salvation, Father, I pray that we would rejoice in that salvation, that we can live joyous lives knowing that you are our Father and that you care for us and have a home for us prepared. Father, I pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.